I'm Bill Castle, and this is Free Expression. This program is all about conveying the Christian message from a Catholic point of view and defending the liberty which makes it possible to do that. We talk with creative, interesting people about clever ways to catechize the young, living the gospel at work, and defending student journalists at Notre Dame. Join us, sit back, and enjoy some free expression. Notre Dame is an icon of Catholic higher education, not to mention Catholic football, win one for the Gipper and all that. Years ago, some public relations work provided an opportunity for me to spend a good deal of time in the Holy Cross academic community, of which Notre Dame is the center. And I discovered that Catholic, though Notre Dame might be, church teaching isn't necessarily interpreted consistently by all its faculty members. A group of Notre Dame student journalists made the same discovery, and they published a report about a professor whom they alleged provides assistance for obtaining abortions. That professor, sociologist Tamara Kay, is suing their newspaper, an independent student publication called The Irish Rover. Joseph Durrell, the Rover's editor, is here to tell us about the situation. Joseph, thanks for being with us. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. If you would, please give us a little background on this issue. Yeah, for sure. This professor at Notre Dame first came to my attention last summer, around the time that the Dobbs decision overturned Roe v. Wade and made abortion restrictions at the state level once again possible. So at that time, Professor Kay, in addition to a couple other professors, began publishing op-eds arguing that abortion restrictions were bad policy. Um, She published in Salon, The Daily Beast, uh, The LA Times, among other outlets. So it came to my attention that she was very publicly advocating for abortion rights, as she put it. So I had her on my radar going into the school year last year. On September 15th, Indiana has implemented their restrictions of abortion, uh, which heavily restricted abortion access in the state. And at that time, this professor, Tamara Kay, put up a sign on her office door which read, This is a safe space to get help and information on all healthcare issues with access confidentially and with compassion. And so, in addition to that sign, she began publishing on her personal social media um, tweets with links to abortionfinder.com, planc.org, planb.org, and various other resources through which anyone could access abortion pills and abortifacients. And in addition to sending out these links, she tweeted, uh, if you have issues of access or cost, DM me. And so I collected all this information, and then after a panel on abortion access at which Professor Kay presented on campus, I interviewed her and then published this all in an article, um, just kind of a straight reporting piece explaining uh, everything that had been going on with her advocacy in the past month or so. And this report was then picked up by numerous national outlets, um, at which time Professor Kay began slightly backtracking on some of her statements. She started making erroneous claims about the Irish Rover, the student publication for which I was editor last year. Our processes for reporting on this case, at one point she even denied that I interviewed her, which was surprising since I had a recording of the interview, so I could easily prove that it existed. 
And then it kind of sat like that for a couple of months until I found out about this lawsuit being leveled in the spring. Now, you quoted her directly. I mean, you say you got her on tape, and this isn't something that you wrote as an interpretive feature. This was actual reportage of what she had said. Correct, yeah. It wasn't an opinion piece. I wasn't trying to make an argument with it. I was simply yeah, taking the facts of what she had said publicly and conveying those to our audience at the Irish Rover, which then was picked up and conveyed to kind of a broader conservative audience across the country by various other outlets. It's my understanding that truth is not necessarily a defense against a claim of libel. Malice comes into it somehow. What, what exactly is she charging here? She is claiming, well, it's actually a little bit confusing what exactly she's doing on the basis of. So in the lawsuit, she named two articles that the rover published, one of which was the article I just described, and the other was a report on a speech she gave on campus the following March. In that speech, or it was really a meeting with the Notre Dame College Democrats. Uh, she kind of gave more background to how she got into abortion advocacy and why she cares so much about abortion rights. The lawsuit names both of these pieces, but she doesn't actually pull out any claims in the original article that she thinks are defamatory. She merely alleges that the article is defamatory and doesn't get into any specifics. And then in the March article, she does pull out a couple of quotations that she says did not occur. And going back over the transcripts, it seems that there are slight variants in the wording of what was said and how our reporter recorded it. But nothing changed substantively. He conveyed her message exactly as she stated it. So it's not, I've been yeah, assured by our lawyers that it's not legally salient any slight differences that are there. What jeopardy are you and uh, your fellow staff members in? Uh, uh, are these claims personal against you as individuals or just institutions? No, so the lawsuit is directed at the publication itself against the Irish Rover as opposed to being against us as students. So Irish Rover is not a student organization necessarily. It's run entirely by Notre Dame students, but it's incorporated as a 501c3 nonprofit. So the idea is that we wanted to establish an outside voice that could report freely on matters right. at Notre Dame through the voice of Notre Dame students. The official campus publication was called The Observer, right? Correct. You have... The Irish Rover was founded back in 2003, so The Observer is much older, but the Rover was founded specifically with the mission of upholding the Catholic identity of Notre Dame, uh, so we thought that we should stay separate and not try and incorporate under the university, so the university couldn't influence our reporting on any matters. That being the case, uh, what's the reaction on campus? Are you under the gun from the administration? Are you getting support from students and faculty? What's the situation? Yes, yeah, so surprisingly, I've heard nothing from the administration through this whole process. They've kind of seemed to batten the hatches down a little bit and pretended that it's not happening. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes with the administration. I'm sure that they have some sort of plan to manage media blowback, and maybe that plan is simply to say nothing and hope that the issue goes away. Or maybe they're doing other things behind the scenes. I really do not know. As far as reaction from students and professors, I guess I'll find out more conclusively once I'm back on campus next week uh, to begin the fall semester. 
But over the summer, I have received many supportive emails from professors and from students thanking me for not backing down on this issue and for reporting it and sticking by it. What's your status as a student? Are you in your junior year, senior year, what? Yeah, I'll be beginning my senior year in the fall, so I'm just finishing up at Notre Dame. What's your major? I study philosophy and classics as a double major. Are you looking for a career in journalism or publishing at all? That is most likely the plan. Yeah, I would love to continue doing media work. I've really enjoyed my time at Notre Dame as a student journalist, and I've gotten to write a little bit beyond campus publications for various other outlets. And yeah, that's the hope is when I graduate is to start work in media journalism. Well, on the face of it, this would seem like a classic First Amendment challenge. Uh, How's this thing going to unfold? Is there any kind of court date set? We filed last month an anti-slap motion. The idea is to resolve the case pretrial, so any sort of meritless case brought against the publication can has the option to file for anti-slap to dismiss it, uh, and it works somewhat like an automatic countersuit. So the hope is that we won't ever have to go to court over this, but the judge has 180 days to decide. So we just filed last month, so this will likely drag on pretty much throughout the entirety of my senior year here. Well, let me know what happens. I'm real curious to see how this whole thing shakes out. It seems like a clear-cut question of First Amendment protections and whether they will obtain uh, on a college campus. I definitely can keep you in the loop. Um, And I think the, uh, the other consideration that we kind of have going forward is we feel very confident that we will win the case. Like, we don't have a lot of fear there. We've gone over all the documentation. I fortunately documented everything very well in writing this article. So did my colleague, fellow student, who wrote the other article mentioned in the case. So yeah, we want to make sure also to kind of vindicate ourselves in the eyes of the media and all the people that are hearing about this lawsuit is happening and maybe people that don't look too much into the details of the case, but simply see students are being sued. And I think a lot of people have the inclination to think young students going out of their way who don't know what they're doing, who are just like tarnishing the name of a professor. So I hope that that isn't the reaction that people come away with, so that even if we win the case, that we can use this as momentum to further the work of the publication, and that hopefully it'll continue to stay kind of in the the media circle if and when we do eventually win the case. Well, this has uh, turned out to be an aspect of your education that I'm sure you didn't anticipate, but it's uh, an interesting turn of events. Joseph Durrell, editor of the Irish Rover, the independent student newspaper at Notre Dame. Thanks for being with us. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Young people are growing up saturated with entertainment and pop culture. Whether watching movies or TV shows or trolling for videos on social media, kids virtually breathe humor and satire. So it stands to reason that if you're trying to gain the attention and hold the interest of teenagers, being funny automatically gives you a leg up. Having some musical chops helps too. A Catholic performer and media producer named Shevin McCullough has applied humor and music to the challenging task of evangelizing young people. His Florida-based production company, Studio 316, offers a wide variety of engaging catechetical materials that make the Christian story accessible and understandable to the young. 
and he does it without seeming either pompous or terminally hip. Shevin, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me, Bill. Very thankful to be here. I assume that Studio 316 refers to John 316, correct? You got it, yep. If you take a music studio plus John 316, you get Studio 316. (laughs) All right. Well, now you put out videos, you do music videos with a lot of hip-hop, you put out catechetical materials for schools. Tell me about this operation. How does it work? Our founder, Rob Reynolds, he had an encounter during an eight-day silent retreat in January of 2018, which he got this call. Unexpectedly, six months later, during an airplane ride in July of 2018, I got this call to be like this artist for Jesus on a plane ride during a business trip. So he has this encounter in front of the Eucharist in January of 2018. I had this encounter in July of 2018. I had known him since we met at college at the Franciscan University of Steubenville. And a collective theme in each of our encounters was the importance of helping kids realize why the Bible was the living Word of God and not this perception of it being an outdated history book. We were both passionate about wholesome education, concerned about all the harmful media that's robbing our youth from their time, their talent, most importantly, their innocence. And, and, and we have a deep desire to help reconnect them to our faith, to the church, to the truth, to Jesus. So what we did, Bill, is we combined the truth of the gospel with modern storytelling, and you get Studio 316. It was really a a response to to a call. How are the materials used? Do you you provide these to uh, religious education programs, schools, what? Our focus is our Catholic schools, they're second through eighth grade, and how they're used, they're used as a supplemental resource. So let's say you're, you're a teacher and you're working out of a book Monday through Friday, and then you want to play a supplemental lesson, an additional lesson to help bring one of these gospel stories to life in a modern, relevant, engaging Catholic way. Studio 316 is to show how the gospels relate and apply to our lives today. So every one of our lessons, are they're rooted in the gospels, and every one of our lessons applies to everyday life. You definitely take a light touch. I mean, this this stuff is very, very accessible. Uh, I, I can see the kids really get excited about seeing this. But how do you take some of the, the material that's in the Bible, some of which is rather complex, some of which is even scary, and translate it into this soft approach that young people can grasp? That's a great question, Bill. We work with a couple writers out in L.A., And then we also work with Dr. John Bergsma. The reason why we have Dr. Bergsma on the call, so Dr. John Bergsma is a biblical scholar, teaches at the Franciscan University of Steubenville. Each lesson is maybe three or four, five or six writing sessions. He's on the first session and every every one of these episodes, every one of these lessons to really help us understand like the theological depth and, and, and what are some of these big lessons that Jesus is really trying to teach us? So I'm a, a co-founder here at Studio 316, and, and, and as a co-founder, I'm okay if we bend a Studio 316 story, if it gets a little wonky or zany or whatever, in order to fit the truth. I'm not okay if we bend the truth in order just to fit a story. Uh-huh. We can agree there's a lot of truth bending going on right now. So with, with Dr. Bergsma, he's on the call with all of the writers really helping us. We're asking questions. He's helping us unpack it. But here's something else we do that I I think is pretty interesting. We have a team of maybe 
eight to 12 different kids that are for anywhere from like 13 or 14 to like 18 or 19 years old. And we run the script by them. Do they understand the message? Do they understand the plot? Do they understand the jokes? It's great for humility, by the way. And it's also great for like checks and balances to make sure it's resonating with the appropriate audience. It's a very difficult balance to strike. A lot of people have attempted to translate scripture into a modern idiom, and sometimes they go pretty far off base. I know right now the TV series The Chosen has been getting a lot of criticism for taking their narrative pretty far from the scriptural original. Do you guys ever receive any uh, criticism or negative commentary about your work? The biggest criticism we get about our program is, like, I like how this one kid described it. She was a sixth grader. She goes, Shevin, it's cheesy, but it's a good kind of cheesy. But I would say the biggest critique we get from, like, older kids is, like, you know, it's a little cheesy. And, And my response to that is, of course it is. Like, we were very intentional with the approach that we took. And the, the reason why we take a more lighthearted approach is because it makes the content lighthearted. It makes it more disarming. We had a, a religion teacher in the Diocese of St. Augustine. She gave me the testimonial, and she was like, hey, I, I wanted to let you know that my, my kids are learning the Gospels without realizing learning their Gospels. And I didn't know how to take that at first. Hmm. I'm like... So I asked her, I was like, can you just help me understand that a little bit? She goes, yeah, I I don't think you understand. Religion is not their favorite subject. That was really helping me understand the kind of the impact it's really having on the kids. But I I would say, and I'm not just saying this, I would say it's probably the only one that I've probably heard more than once, you know, it would be that that particular one. But is it loyal to, to church teaching? 100%. 100%. Like, we have our, our bishop is signed off on it. We can promote his support of it with Dr. Birch. My inner founder has a degree in theology as well. The educators we work with, we wanted to make sure that we weren't trying to create a new version of uh, Catholicism. We weren't trying to be like cafeteria Catholics with it. We wanted to make sure it's being loyal to our faith that's been around for 2,000 years. You say you graduated from Franciscan University of Steubenville, and uh, I've known a lot of Stubies, and they're some of my favorite people. What did you do after that? Have you done other kinds of performing? I'm from the city of Steubenville. Oh. I wasn't Catholic at the time when I went to the Franciscan. The reason why I went to the Franciscan is that main responsibility at that time of my life was taking care of my grandmother. She, she was paralyzed. So I had to go to a college that was in close proximity to where she lived. It's common where they're like, oh, did you have a big conversion there? And I did not. And I, I think it's because the saying that the teacher appears when the student is ready the student was not ready. Um, um, but after I graduated at Franciscan University, I had spent a couple more years as an artist. So I spent maybe eight to 10 years as a, as a secular artist. And then nothing happened. Nothing really got substantial from a monetary aspect for me to keep doing it. So then I got into education, phone sales for about five or six years. And then I ran hiring and culture development for a real estate company. And then I had this encounter on the plane ride in July of 2018. So really, that's what threw me off, Bill, on on this airplane ride, because I'm getting this call to be like this artist for Jesus. And I'm thinking to myself, hey, Jesus, I did this. It it didn't didn't work out. Like, I gave it a lot of my time and my money and my my effort. And it was just like clear. He's like, you know, you, you weren't doing it for me. You were doing it for the world. I want you to be my artist. And that's probably one of the things that threw me off because I was like, it had been, I don't know, 12, 15 years since I'd been a musician. 
is one of those things where I would self-deprecate about it. When people ask me about it, I self-deprecate in general, but it's almost like I didn't want to admit how personal and, and how deeply it, it impacted me. But my friend told me two-thirds of God is go. And <laughs> <laughs> just go, brother. Well, the Lord moves in mysterious ways. <laughs> hey, well, how can people find out more about this? If uh, DRE uh, people in local parishes want to hook up with you and use your stuff or Catholic schools, where can, where can they find you? It's studio316.com. That's studio316.com. Shevin McCullough of Studio 316. Hey, thank you very much. You, you put out interesting stuff. It's fun to watch. It's very light and entertaining. And, and the message gets through. To my eye, it really works. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate your support and encouragement, Bill. And yeah, at the, at the end of the day, it's like we just want to get these kids fired up about Jesus. There's so much competing for their hearts and their minds, and it's appearing as a truth. But we know the truth isn't relative. That truth is Jesus. So that's been our motivation behind it. Catholic Men's Leadership Alliance recently held its online Heroic Men's Summit. Dan Donaldson, Vice President of CMLA, was with us in advance of that event back in June, talking about how to motivate men to take the lead in their families and parishes. Now CMLA is planning another in its series of online summits, this one focused specifically on work. Dan, how do Catholic men live the gospel in the workday world? How do they balance career goals and their responsibilities as providers while at the same time presenting themselves as faithful Christian men? There's got to be some challenge in that. Oh, absolutely. It's a great challenge and it's a gift. Work is actually a gift and it was a gift from the very beginning, man was put to toil by our Lord, not as necessarily punishment, but as uh, something redemptive to draw us back to him so we can participate in his creation in our work. Uh, so it's, it's to be a creative endeavor and an endeavor of, of love and sacrifice. But I got to tell you, this is just going to be an incredible event. It's on Saturday, September 9th, beginning at 11 a.m. Central. And we have some fabulous speakers that will do such a better job than I to discuss the topic. We have Matthew Kelly from Dynamic Catholic is going to speak. We have Andreas Widmer from the Catholic University of America, who actually produced a series called The Gospel of Work. Hmm. And we have another gentleman named Jeff Joaquin, who is an extraordinarily successful developer, contractor, who will be talking about success versus significance. So I just want to invite every man out there to join us. It's a free event. You can register. Just go to heroicmen.com to register for the event for absolutely free. You'll see a pop-up there. Just click the pop-up banner and register to join us. But don't just join us by yourself. Uh, consider inviting a friend or a group of friends to join you and maybe to get together for lunch and watch the Heroic Men Summit together and then discuss it over pizza. So it's going to be a great event, and we're going to have thousands of men from all over planet Earth joining us. Please, please join us. 
doing this. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be a, a great time. Uh, for, I suppose, as from the beginning of time, I, people would have been in agreement with your point that work is a gift of God and, and a virtue and, and a sign of virtue, especially on the part of men. But today, things have really changed. We live in an environment where companies are not necessarily hospitable to traditional religious values. A lot of them have been taken over with the woke ideology, and it isn't always comfortable being a believer in today's work environment. No, it definitely isn't, and and I can completely understand that personally. In 2015, I actually had a a long-term, multi-decade career in the pharmaceutical industry, and I loved what I did. I specialized in diabetes and endocrinology, but I... I learned in 2015 that the company that I was working for started doing human embryonic stem cell research, and that kills people. And I also learned very quickly that that was rampant in my sector of the industry, in the endocrinology sector. So I began in Novena to St. Joseph the Worker because I knew that I couldn't participate in that. And in the middle of that novena, I was approached by Dr. Tim Gray to, at the Augustine Institute to help launch the forums platform. So that was a, an, a prayer definitely answered very rapidly, and St. Joseph was very powerful. But I think it just comes down to each of us. We, we need to be strengthened in our own values to stand up against the current of the culture. And look, it may not always be easy. In my case, it certainly wasn't. My, I knew I, I just couldn't participate. I needed to make a change. But boy, have I been blessed by that. And I think when we trust the Lord with our, all of our hearts and lean not on our own understanding, He will direct us in all of our paths. That's Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. This is certainly a situation that a lot of people are facing, men and women both. When conscience comes into stark contrast with the, with the environment around them and the demands that are being being placed on them, I hope uh, some of your speakers might might get into this and really address this topic because I think there's a hunger. People need answers in this regard. They will, I, and I can tell you, I know for a fact that Jeff Joaquin will. And he will talk about success versus significance and living your work life with your values. So, oh yes, this will definitely be a key topic of the Gospel of Work Heroic Men's Summit on September 9th. Well, once again, where can people go for additional information or to sign up or do whatever is necessary? Yeah, easy peasy. Go to heroicmen.com. Again, that's heroicmen.com. That is our free platform for men. You will see a pop-up banner for the Heroic Men Summit on September 9th, Saturday, September 9th. Just click on that banner and register for free. We would love to have you there and love to have you spread the word. Please let others know about it and have other men join you. These are great programs. Dan Donaldson from the Catholic Men's Leadership Alliance. Thanks very much. Uh, uh, Maybe we can do a follow-up on this and see how the event went and what kind of information was shared. I would love to join you anytime. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been an honor. Be with us next time when we explore other aspects of religious communication and look deeper into the great Christian heritage of free expression. Free Expression with Bill Castle is a production of Good Shepherd Catholic Radio and Company Publications, where good books, good music, and good radio are always good company. 
Dan Curris provided technical assistance. Theme and incidental music are by Dan Allen. The program was produced and directed by Bill Castle. This is Good Shepherd Catholic Radio.